if you are feeling like this is not a situation that you want to stay in for any reason, you can always call a parent to come get you, right? And that could be 15 minutes after you get dropped off. That could be at 11 o'clock at night, right? That, that should hopefully be the kind of open communication that you want to start at a pretty young age so that by the time kids get to adolescence and they may find themselves in a situation where there's some red flags or you know their, their, their radar is kind of going up, that they're not going to hesitate to text a parent and say, could you come get me? This is Mom Squad Pod, your weekly update on tips, tricks, and all things parenting with Maureen Kyle. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to the Mom Squad Pod podcast, where we talk all things parenting. And today, I'm really excited about this topic because this has come up in conversations among friends, especially as our kids are getting older. Dr. Tori Cordiano is joining me, clinical psychologist, to talk sleepovers. Do we do them? Are they safe? And then when can we tell when things might be going a little awry in our child's life? So Tori, thanks so much for talking with me about this. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to dive into this topic. Yeah, and I'm not exaggerating. I have had this conversation with a couple of friends over the course of the past year, and maybe it's because my child, my children, and my oldest child is getting into this age group. Um, Maybe it's just, you know, one of those things where you keep having the same conversation with people thinking, I just talked about this, but um, I had one friend, I was sitting at a, a table with one friend who said, nothing good ever comes with a sleepover. My kids are not doing sleepovers. (laughs) And then I had another friend, she had the rebuttal and she said, well, I had a great time growing up, going to my friend's houses, sleeping over, nothing bad ever happened. Um, But as a parent, I feel like we, we come to that crossroad where it's, do I let my children have sleepovers? And then what feels right? What feels like maybe it's not a right situation. What's your overall take? are sleepovers okay? Or should we be looking at something a little deeper? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is, I think, such a multifaceted issue and parents all come to this with their own experience of sleepovers. So that example that you mentioned of having two friends kind of polar opposite viewpoints is really common. I think you have people who have had in their own childhood, bad experiences with sleepovers or for their children have had a bad experience. And for them, it's just a hard no until maybe their children are much, much older. And then you have people who have had just really lovely, warm experiences and in great memories of their own sleepovers or their children's um, experiences with them. There's not a right or wrong answer to this, but I think there's questions to ask along the way to sort of guide your thinking. Um, And the first is that this is one of those areas um, that I think kids will say, everybody is doing this, right? Everybody has sleepovers. And and there's many areas in parenting where this comes up, but this is one where it's good to sort of stop and gut check and remember, okay, that's not the case, right? So I can, with my partner, if I'm parenting with a partner or on my own for my children, sort of think through what are the questions that I want answered and what would I feel comfortable with, with regard to a sleepover? Mm -hmm. Um, So there's, there's a few variables that I think are good to consider. One of them has to do with your own child and what her or his kind of, you know, what what you would wonder about with your child sleeping out at somebody else's house. And one has to do with the family that they would be, the house that they would be sleeping at and what questions you have about that. And then another variable that we don't always think about until after the fact is what's going on in the in the next few days after the sleepover. Because one thing you can expect is that your kiddo is going to come home maybe a little tired or a little more tired than usual, a little grumpier than usual. And so we want to make sure that we're really planning um, thoughtfully about when we place those sleepovers. 
Now you specialize in adolescence and development. Um, what should, what's a sign that my child is ready to handle emotionally a sleepover? Because I think of, I mean, I remember even being, I can't even tell you what age I was, but here's my best friend. Here's a house I'm familiar with. Here are parents I'm familiar with. And I remember crying mm-hmm. for no reason at a, at a sleepover. And I was just, I don't know if I was homesick. I couldn't even tell you why I started crying, but it was middle of the night. And my mom probably thought that I was, I was ready, but I don't, like I said, I don't remember what age I was. Sure. So how do you start to determine that, that my child is ready to be away from home mm-hmm. in a different environment mm-hmm. and feeling comfortable? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I would back this up far before um, adolescence because, you know, younger kids are asking for sleepovers too. And then there's the, the basic questions of self-care we think about. Are you able to take yourself through the steps of your nighttime and your morning routine independently? And obviously this is things like, you know, with younger kids, like, are you going to brush your teeth? Are you going to remember to go to the bathroom? Are you going to, you know, do the things that you need to do? These are with younger, maybe eight year old kind of kids. If they're thinking about a sleepover, then there's the emotional piece that you mentioned of what's it going to feel like to sleep out at somebody else's house. Um, This is where I think it's really good to consider what's the relationship with the family where you are going to be doing that sleepover. I love the idea of starting with, um, you know, starting a sleepover. If you're able to do this with a cousin, or grandparent or something like that, where it's almost like a trial run of, it's not going to be a big deal if I have to come, you know, scoop you up at 1130 at night and you know the house, you know the family. And then maybe the next step is um, a neighbor that you know well, that's close by before you're doing sleepovers of of any sort of distance Um, and sort of looking at it as building up to a sleepover that may be a little bit further away or, you know, that's not quite as easy to just come collect you if that's going to be the case. Is there anything, any conversation that you have with your child to prepare them? Um, even if they think, oh, I'm ready. I'm going to go sleep over Billy's. This is going to be great. We're going to eat junk food. We're going to stay up all night or whatever. In their mind, I think they approach it a lot differently than a parent who has concerns and worries and knows what's going to happen. Is there a conversation that you have with your child before and what kind of things do you prepare them for um, and what do you guide them through? you know, this is what's going to happen. And this is how you might feel this way or that way. Yeah. So I'm a big proponent of always letting kids of any age know if you are feeling like this is not a situation that you want to stay in for any reason, you can always call a parent to come get you. Right. And that could be 15 minutes after you get dropped off. That could be at 11 o'clock at night. Right. That, that should hopefully be the kind of open communication that you want to start at a pretty young age so that by the time kids get to adolescence and they may find themselves in a situation where there's some red flags or you know their 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 radar is kind of going up but they're not going to hesitate to text a parent and say could you come get me um so i think that's a big part of the conversation that we know this family we we trust this family we trust that you're going to be fine but if you're feeling like you can't do this or you don't want to do this it is okay to let one of us know and we will come get you um so i think that's a good part of the conversation to have in advance and then it's the things about you know when you are not at our house same as if it's a, a play date at somebody's house or you're going to be spending time at somebody's house during the day our expectations for your behavior still apply. So if there's certain limits that you have about what kids are able to do on screens or you know things that they're, sites that they're able to access or social media that you don't want them on, movies that you'd let, rather them not watch, those sorts of things, 
just making sure that those are still part of the conversation, that they know our expectations of your behavior don't change just because you're spending the night at a friend's house. Mm-hmm. Do you think that a parent should call at some point to check in on their child during the sleepover or text if, if the kids, I know friends of ours have the gizmos already or, mm-hmm. or some sort of phone or, or way to communicate. Do parents check in or does that disrupt a circle of trust or do you think that 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 kind of interrupts their thinking and maybe they start thinking I should go home Mm -hmm. yeah you recommend so I think for kids you know it's it's maybe good to have this conversation in advance especially for younger kids older kids might just be annoyed frankly (laughs) you're checking in right like they don't want the flow of the sleepover disrupted and that's fair it's sort of the equivalent of if you're out on date night and your kid keeps checking in with you, it's kind of like, oh, now I'm out of the conversation and, you know, having to to deal with this. So that's fair with older kids. Um, With younger kids, you may decide uh, together, do you want me to text? Do you want me to check in? And I think it's good to remember for, for kids who may be wanting to do a sleepover, but if it's their first sleepover or, you know, they're a little wondering about how it's gonna go, it's sort of like drop off at preschool, you know, when there's separation anxiety, when kids are really young, if you keep kind of checking in or you were to keep kind of popping your head in the door, it would actually make it a little bit harder for them to get into the flow of the day. So unless you have big concerns or unless your child really has wanted you to check in and you've kind of talked about that before, I think it's a nice sort of, we're dropping you off. You'll let me know if you need anything, you'll have fun. We'll see you in the morning uh, kind of situation. Teens and tweens, maybe they've already had their first sleepover, but now I feel like that's the age group that you start to get into the group, you know, where it's so-and-so, you know, is having a birthday party and now it's five kids sleeping over. Mm -hmm. Um, That's where I feel like, I don't know, I don't want to stereotype with like mean girls or, you know, boys getting in trouble by doing something bad, but there's there's more elements to it. You know, there, there's more personalities added. There are, you know, some social situations that are added. How can you tell, first of all, if your kid's comfortable with it and maybe if they come home, are there any signs that things maybe didn't go that well? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's such a great question because it's a different situation to send your kid to a family's house that maybe, you know, quite well, and it's going to be your child and one other child, right? And you you feel like you really know the variables there, you know how that family operates, you know what the house is like. That's different than there's 10 kids and maybe you know half of them or maybe even less. You know, and I, I think it's fair to ask those kind of questions going in. Can you tell me who's gonna be there? What's the number of kids? You know, what, what like that, what what will this look like? You know, those sorts of things. It's fair to ask that of the host family. It's also fair to say, kiddo, we trust you and we 100% trust you sleeping over at this friend's house at a different time, but we actually are not quite ready for a big sleepover with many kids yet. And you can explain your reasons, but it's fair for parents to have that line and to to hold that line until they feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, The reason is that we just don't know what, you know, especially when we think about people having phones, kids having phones at younger ages and you know what they might be exposed to at a younger age. Some families are more comfortable with that and feel like they've had the conversations with their child about 
how would you manage it if somebody pulled up something on their phone that you didn't feel comfortable with or you knew we wouldn't be okay with? Other families feel like we don't want to go there yet and we'd rather just not enter that situation until you're a little bit better able to handle it. Either of those are fair. We just kind of want to be thinking through those um, potential situations before they occur if possible. Um, you asked about the coming home and how much you know if it maybe didn't go so well. So I think one thing to expect is they're going to be grumpy. They're going to be a little bit of a pill the next day. That's just sort of par for the course. But if you're seeing that sort of, um, you know, kind of more irritability than usual, or, you know, just kind of withdrawing into themselves in a way that's not typical for them, I think it's fair to ask about that and to say, you know, it looks like your mood's a little different. Anything happened last night or anything happened that surprised you? Anything that kind of threw you a little bit um, to just sort of keep that communication open. You want that to be the standard so that they are able to say, actually, so-and-so pulled up this on their phone and I, I was, you know, I couldn't believe it or this happened and it made me feel uncomfortable. Kids aren't always going to come forward with that, but you definitely want to keep that path open um, so that they can. And with teens, uh, that's, I mean, I remember stories from, from way back when I was in high school, high school years, and now I'm hearing stories. I mean, we didn't have the technology that, that kids have today. I, a friend of a friend was raising a teenage girl a couple of years ago and, and thought he had it down. She had GPS on her phone. So he knew that she was sleeping over her friend's house. Well, she'd leave the phone in the mailbox and then go out. I mean, with teens, how do you build that trust? How do you um, lay down the expectations when there's such a rebellious factor in those teenage years? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's such a good question. And I think it's, it's so much that happens so far in advance of the sleepover, right? If we think about trust as this foundation that you constantly both are pouring into, that's the basis from which you can make these kinds of decisions, right? So if over time, you know, your, your teenager is getting a little bit more freedom and maybe they have a phone or maybe they're able to, you know, ride their bike and be different places. And then when they're older, they're driving a car and going different places. You're sort of taking that at each step and giving a little bit more permission and having it be in relation to how, how they're handling those responsibilities. And you have that in a, that conversation in a really direct way with, with teenagers, right? That we are now going to this next level of permission. We've seen you handle this part really, really well. We've been really, you know, proud of the, what you've, the responsibility that you've shown. So now we're going to try this next step. We're going to see how this goes um, and to continue to kind of have those conversations. When we talk about, we talk in parenting a lot about natural consequences. This is what natural consequences are in one way or the other, right? The consequence of a positive consequence of being able to trust your child is that child gets more freedom. A, a not so great consequence of, you know, having issues where maybe they're going somewhere where they're not supposed to or not telling the truth about what's going on is that those freedoms get pulled back um, until that balance is sort of recalibrated. Mm -hmm. It's hard for parents to ask some of the difficult questions sometimes. Like, I know as a parent, I should be asking, is there a gun in the house? Uh, how many older siblings are in the house? Because we know that that can be a, one of the dangers is, is having an older sibling, you know, with younger kids sleeping over. Is there, do you recommend a way for parents to go about finding out that information or having that conversation or 
calming our own fears in, mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad you raised that because I think this is something that so many parents feel like I should be asking, but I'm not quite sure how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a place where, I mean, personally, I can speak to like the clunkiness of the gun question, right? That I feel like when my oldest was young enough to start being at other friends' houses, it took me so long to figure out how I would ask that question. And finally, it just got to a place where I said, you know, here's the awkward question that I have. And, and every to a parent, every family that I've ever asked that to has said, I'm so glad you asked. And I always feel like I should be asking the same thing. Here's here's where we are, right? So I think it's helpful to remember that everybody has, you know, some sense, well, not everybody maybe, but many people have some sense that this is a question we want to be able to ask and have answered. It often feels awkward for people. So there's an appreciation if a parent is actually able to just ask it and then it can be on the table as a conversation. Um, so I think you know, figuring out what that looks like, if it's easier for you to send it by a text or to pick up the phone and, and you know, say it you know, in person to somebody, what's the, the way that it's gonna feel um, as unclunky as possible, but sort of accepting that it, there's gonna be a little bit of awkwardness around it. I want to go back to, to, since you work for Laurel School, which is a girls' school here in Shaker Heights, Ohio, um, and, and again, like, I do not like gender stereotyping. I really don't. I went to an all-girls school. I grew up with sisters. I have daughters. Yeah. I don't like to stick this label on girls, but it is, um, I feel like girls are a little bit more uh, psychological than, than boys, and we have that mean girl syndrome. Mm. How do we prepare our, I, we can't control what other kids are doing. And I've prepared my oldest, especially she just turned eight for, you know, some people they get mean. I feel like that always comes out in a, in a group situation. Maybe it's mm. a sleepover. How do you prepare your child, especially if you have daughters um, mm. who tend to, I feel like a sleepover is big for tween girls. Mm. Um, is there preparation that you can can give um, a child about some of the social behaviors that that tend to be you know a little bit more mean or um, how do they handle it? Yeah, yeah. So a couple of thoughts. The first is again, I think this is a conversation that starts far in advance of the sleepover. Um, there's sometimes a temptation before a kiddo goes out the door of. And remember this and remember this, right? And they're like, I'm, they're, I'm out of here. They're, they're not taking in any of that. So as much of that that can happen in advance, I think is helpful. Um, girls don't have a market on that, right? So I think for parents of boys too, we want to be having those same conversations about what would you do if, you know, a couple friends started picking on somebody else? Or what would you do if they said, you know, something that made you feel uncomfortable? Luckily or not, there's plenty of situations that arise organically um, where you can have this conversation with your tween age children, right? So, oh, that must have been hard for her to hear, or oh, when he said that, how, you know, what what do you think about that? So you can have conversations about how you are assertive and stand up for yourself, and then how you can be assertive and stand up for other people who maybe are not able to stand up for themselves in that moment. And that can be as simple as saying, you know, kind of even talking through, what would you say? You could say, guys, cut it out. This is kind of lame, right? That you could, you know, just move it on to something else. And when would you know that you need to, you know, maybe pull a parent in, or when would you know that um, you, it's not a situation that you want to stick around in? Mm-hmm. There are other, I mean, I don't want to get into too much scary, scary talk here because um, yeah, I think every parent though has uh, a concern that there's, you know, who's in the house, who are these people that I'm trusting? Like, is mm-hmm. there going to be, um, am I, 
if it's a house they're continually sleeping over you know you worry about is this somebody who might eventually I, I, I mean I don't think this of all my friends and all the parents but you you have to wonder about the um, abusive situations that, that occur when you have a child staying over other houses or there's somebody, you always hear about the adults or older kids who groom um, mm-hmm. a child. Mm-hmm. Is there a red flag that is something that's obvious that parents look back and say, I kick myself that I didn't mm-hmm. notice mm-hmm. that this person was doing this or that my child was reacting to this person in a certain way? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And it's such a painful topic. I think that's the experience that if families have been through that, that idea of, I should have seen this coming and mm-hmm. it's impossible to, to see it coming in that way that we would like to believe we can protect our kids. But this is where I like the idea of starting quite small, right. And keeping sleepovers limited and keeping them to families that you really know quite well, and you know, who is going to be there and then having a lot of communication about it. And, and if it's what it's it's sort of akin to when you give a kid a cell phone. If the barn door is wide open, it's harder to pull everything back in. But if we're opening it in small increments, it's easier to kind of monitor that as we go. Um, so you may start with asking a lot of questions about okay, guns in the house and how when, what's what will you guys do about technology and who else is going to be there and you know all of those sorts of things. And you can sort of own the like I'm going to be the mom who has a lot of questions about this because we're new to this forgive me. Um, and hopefully it's the kind of uh, situation where you can feel like you can ask those questions. You want it to be, you want to have that comfort level. If you are going to allow your child, especially a younger child to be sleeping at another person's house. Um, and then from there, I think the communication with your child about who was there and, and what did you guys do and what was fun or, you know, what felt, was there anything that felt weird? And, and they may roll their eyes, but you're still having those conversations. You're still part of um, the experience from remotely so that you're having some sense of, of what's going on um, and you're noticing anything that would be different or that would kind of raise any concern. Like there was a, you know, older teenage sibling who had a friend there and, and you wouldn't have been okay with that. So now, you know, to ask about that the next time. And I feel like I took that, this whole sleepover thing to a very dark place. <laughs> They're just swing the pendulum back. Yeah. I mean, what are the benefits of yeah. having- yeah. Yeah, these experiences um, with with friends and, um, you know, I don't want my child to be the one who's always left out of the sleepover. That's how memories are made. But what are the benefits you think of having that type of bond with a friend for Mm -hmm. a child? Right. So I think one of it is, like you mentioned, the the bond with the friend is a little bit different than if you just have a play date, even if it's a long play date, there's something different about you know, putting on your pajamas and being in the same space and staying up late and then being there the next morning. It's fun. It's different. It's novel. It does kind of make a friendship, um, you know, strong in some ways. The other piece of it that's nice for kids, and especially if we think about from school age, that bridge to adolescence, when they're striving for more independence and autonomy, it's a way for them to practice being independent away from you, right? That you are trusting that we can have you spend the night at a friend's house. We trust that you know what that entails and how to manage yourself. And then you can come home and have had this experience that you are excited to share with us that none of us had, right? You're bringing something different and novel and unique. And that's a nice sort of um, step in development for, for some kids. Yeah. I, and I, and I will say some kids do not like sleepovers and that is okay. Uh, you know, it's not something that we, we, we often think about the kids who really want sleepovers. There's a healthy minority of kids who really 
not their jam. They're not interested in it. And parents shouldn't be concerned if their kid does not like sleepovers. It's a, it's a healthy, normal thing to not want to spend the night somewhere other than your own bed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I, you know, if you think of us as adults, it's sometimes, you know, even just a hotel stay throws yeah. us for a couple of days. Hey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But overall you think that, um, like if we go back to my friends sitting there at the table and one says, no way, nothing good ever comes out of a sleepover. And the other one who says, well, no, I had all my great memories to sleepovers. Which side would you err towards? <laughs> so again, I think it's so hard to, to because we, we come to parenting with our own experiences, right? And if your child or you have had some experience that makes you wary of sleepovers, as a parent, it's important to pay attention to that. And it's reasonable to make decisions based on your experiences and to collect the data, but also to to have your decision be different than somebody else's. I don't think we can, or we need to say that sleepovers are bad or that they are always good, right? I think we can take it on a step-by-step basis and know our kid and who they're going to be with and make the decisions that feel okay, even even if those aren't the same every time. Well, this was fantastic. I feel so much more well prepared to handle that question because you know you get that text or that question once in a while of can your child sleep over? So it's a once you know your child mm-hmm. sleep over, and then you're stuck in that place of oh my gosh, I don't know if I prepared for this. Right, so right. Yeah. The information was wonderful. Thank you so much. All right, Dr. Tori Cordiano, thank you for spending time with us, and thank you to all of you who listened to the Mom Squad Pod. We'll see you right back here next time. Thanks for listening to Mom Squad Pod with Maureen Kyle from WKYC Studios. Subscribe now so you never miss an update. And find more on everything you heard here on WKYC.com and on the WKYC app.